Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute at Cleveland Clinic. In each podcast, we aim to provide relevant and helpful information for healthcare professionals involved in cardiac, vascular, and thoracic specialties. Enjoy. Thanks so much, Dermot. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. I think, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit more so about athletes and their relationship to nutrition and diet, but, you know, a lot of you, I'm sure, are active and have some interest in this, so hopefully there are some take-home points for you as well. Um, So just to give you kind of an outline of what we'll be talking about, I'll spend my time talking about diet and nutrition um, and how to optimize for performance, and then Kate will be going into supplements um, and energy drinks. So diet and nutrition. So my main goals today are just to probably go over something you guys have learned in school maybe 20, 30 plus years ago on just the basic food groups and what the benefits are in terms of athletic performance and nutrition. And we'll talk a little bit about diet types. I'll touch on some fad diets um, because I think, you know, everybody's got a couple of questions about those specifically for athletic performance again. And then we'll round it out with um, discussing balancing nutrition for performance um, with nutrition for cardiovascular health for athletes of all ages. So, you know, we're all very familiar with this fats, carbohydrates, and proteins, um, but what I wanted to highlight here are what the benefits are of each specific food source. So, you know, we're all very familiar with the carbohydrates. Um, you know, a lot of people tend to think low-carb diets may be best for weight loss. For athletic performance specifically, though, carbohydrates are a great source for both endurance and high-intensity performance, so things like sprints um, or high-intensity intervals. Um, and whatnot, just because they're the most efficiently metabolized um, food uh, source for energy. And so before events, you know, we usually counsel athletes to have some source of carbohydrate about three to four hours prior and minimizing that dose as they get closer to their event. Now, if you're talking about people who are going for marathons or ultras or something that's prolonged over the course of several hours, um, you'll oftentimes see um, um, some of these athletes carrying on sources of glycogen, hopefully in a digestible form, so that it doesn't combat their ability to continue to perform at their peak. Um, so in terms of kind of just how much we would counsel them to give, it's about three to four grams per kilogram. Moving on to fats, you know, a lot of people tend to, again, think that low fat is the best, but fats actually have a very specific utility for athletes. Um, They're really ideal for that aerobic base, that light, moderate intensity endurance exercise where you really want to be able to go for as long as possible, not so much for sprints and um, anything that requires high intensity. And so... And athletes, they have uh, increased efficiency um, as they continue to build their uh, aerobic base, and so therefore they're able to operate at lower intensities and utilize these fat sources as their primary fuel. And as you know, you know, fat is very calorically dense, so you can anticipate that you know something that would give you maybe 1,500 calories from carbohydrates may um, you know be. Um, kind of trumped by 45,000 calories of fat that you've stored, and that 45,000 calories will sustain you over a longer period of time. In terms of how much we would prefer athletes have in their um, all-encompassing diet, we'd say about 20 to 35 percent of calories um, should really be coming from fat. And then we have to also mention there's a difference, sat fat versus unsaturated fat, and unsaturated fat is really that healthier form. Saturated fats, what we predominantly see in animal products like dairy and meats and whatnot, and you know, from a cardiovascular perspective, that's what we typically associate with um, atherosclerosis. And then finally, protein. So protein is kind of this um, 
you know, I, I say it's a black box because you've got people who feel like the more protein, the better, and other individuals who feel like protein coming from a specific source is better than another source. The reason why protein is really necessary for athletic performance is because its primary role is not so much fueling, but more so for recovery, so muscle repair and muscle growth. Um, and you can pair it with carbohydrates when you're um, uh, when you have an endurance performing athlete, just to help minimize that carbohydrate absorption and keep you at even keel with performance, so you're not having spikes and lows. Um, but really, its primary uh, utilization is is really recovery. And then in terms of how much you actually need, it's really not as much as we think. A lot of times we think the more protein, the better. Um, you know, we'll get bulkier muscles, we'll get stronger, we'll be able to sustain more, but that's really not the case. Um, you really only need about one to two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And this, again, is variable depending upon your sport type, um, you know, whether you're endurance versus weightlifting and whatnot. Um, but again, you can find this amount of protein in plant sources and animal sources alike. Um, micronutrients are also a big um, important component in making sure that athletes have you know full nutrition to maximize their performance. Um, and so what I wanted to highlight here is you know obviously we have B vitamins and calcium, vitamin C and D and mag and selenium and iron that are um, really key to uh, to performance and making sure that they're they've got rounded nutrition. But what I wanted to comment on here is that you can see that dairy and meats here in the bottom two columns, you know, yeah, they provide nearly all of those sources of micronutrients. But if you collectively include the veggies, the fruits, and the grains, you're getting all of the vitamins and all of the iron and micronutrients that you really need. And you're avoiding that saturated fat component that does you know, again, have an association with atherosclerosis. And so even in athletes who are high school age, collegiate athletes, young athletes, not necessarily masters who are more, you know, obviously in that cohort of developing cardiovascular disease, this is where counseling is very beneficial. This is where you can really kind of mold what their diet is at a young age and help them realize um, just through experience alone that that type of diet will also be associated with optimal performance. So it's not necessary to be so heavy on the meat and the dairy and whatnot. You can find all of those types of sources and less inflammatory types of foods. So now I just want to touch briefly on uh, the different diet types. And the way I grouped them was really just kind of diets that are all-encompassing in terms of your sources come from meats and dairy and plants and then plant-based or vegan and then ketogenic because I think ketogenic's been something that's been coming up over the last year or two um, and I've had a lot of questions about it in my clinic so I just wanted to you know make sure that we clarified what's what its utility really is so with respect to kind of the you know I'm, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, all-American, all-inclusive kind of typical diet, um, particularly for athletes and the like. Um, you know, these include omnivores, vegetarians, you know, paleo, um, which is really based upon that paleolithic period from, you know, 1.5 million to, I think, about 10,000 years ago, where the focus was on what hunters and gatherers would get for their diet. Uh, and then finally, Mediterranean, and I stick this one in there because that, as cardiologists, is one that, you know, we've got pretty good data for with the PREDIMED study. So, you know, I've seen a lot of my colleagues cancel on Mediterranean diet and, and its utility for cardiovascular patients. And, you know, there is also a role for athletes as well. So all of these diets, because they're rich in all the micronutrients and food groups that we talked about earlier, um, really are ideal for all sports sport types. So endurance, sprint, um, appropriate for fueling and recovery, again, depending upon how much of each component, fat, carb, or protein you have. 
And then with respect to how they fare with nutrition, so you know I have comment al commented already on um, distinguishing your actual food source, animal versus protein. And with animal sources, we have so much data already showing that there is an association with atherosclerosis just because of their saturated fat. Um, that's a neat way in that product. And so it's just really important to counsel athletes on on this moving forward to think about risk as they're trying to maximize performance. Um, so ideally, you know, irrespective of what the source is, unprocessed whole foods um, are really ideal. Moving down to more restrictive diets, so plant-based, um, again, as I've showed before, they do provide adequate fat, protein, and carb. All plants have about two to four grams of protein in them. And if your need really is only 1.2 to 2, kg, 2 grams per kg, which is probably near 20 grams of protein daily, you can get that from all these plant sources. Um, so again, very ideal for any duration sport, fueling and recovery. And then, you know, being vegan is somehow also very trendy. You know, we see a lot of athletes go vegan, maintaining high performance. You know, we see a lot of people like Jay-Z and Beyonce going vegan and advocating things like green print. Um, but what I want to focus on here is it's not about, again, just being a plant. It's about being unprocessed, being whole, being unmanipulated. That's where you'll get the maximal nutritional benefit for performance. And then finally, ketogenic. So ketogenic diets are diets that are high in fat and protein, um, but very minimal, um, if, if any, in carbohydrate. And the whole point of the ketogenic diet is to reduce any or eliminate essentially any carbohydrate in your bloodstream um, to provoke ketosis or fat metabolism. And, you know, predominantly when we think of ketogenic diets, it's, again, more high-fat protein from animal sources. Um, and as you can imagine, the lack of glucose or, or glycogen stores is really not beneficial for athletes who are looking to um, perform at high-intensity efforts. So things like sprints, again, um, you know, quick, um, uh, quick high-intensity bursts of exercise, it's really not ideal. From a nutritional standpoint, um, so again, we talked a little bit about saturated fat content um, and, and food sourcing, but one of the things that I wanted to mention is we really don't have any good long-term studies from a cardiovascular standpoint looking at ketogenic diets and their association with either atherosclerosis, type 2 diabetes, and whatnot. Um, there are some um, mouse studies that show that in, um, in mice there is some uh, association with developing insulin resistance, actually, um, but in diabetic mice, there's uh, an association with um, improving uh, glucose control. So it's, it's kind of um, contradictory, um, and I think that the actual subject will, will lead to variable results. But that's, that's an area I think that could really be tapped into, particularly since you know, a lot of people have been asking about whether or not this no-carb diet is, um, is something beneficial. And we all kind of know the Atkins diet is, is a bit reflective of the ketogenic diet to some extent, so, so there is um, interest out there in that. So paleo, keto, carny, veggie, vegan, you know, what should athletes really do to maximize performance and enhance their nutrition? So, you know, there's a lot of data out there, and I'm, I'm using data loosely to cover you know, a lot of athletes have, have certain diets that they promote. We've got Tom Brady with his DB12. Um, you know, for Venus Williams, vegan went well for her, given her autoimmune disease. You know, for, for Shalane Flanagan, you know, she's again all about all-encompassing whole foods on process. And Michael Phelps with the 12,000-calorie diet. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but, you know, I'm not from Cleveland, but I know you guys kind of love LeBron, maybe not so much. Um, but I couldn't help, you know, 
showing his transition uh, into the world of paleo. Um, since I know a couple of years ago, there was a lot of comment on how he had really tried to optimize his diet. And I don't know if Kate helped with that, but um, if you could, you could speak more to it. Um, so, you know, again, nutritional needs for performance is really what's important. So we talked about sport type endurance versus strength dictating the food component and then duration as well as phase. One thing I wanted to highlight here is it's also important to know where your athlete is coming from. You know, females um, tend to uh, be more susceptible to what was previously called the female athlete triad syndrome, which is a combination of amenorrhea, osteoporosis, and um, eating, um, disordered eating, I should say. And that's now more commonly known um, as energy deficiency syndrome. And then also just in light of, um, you know, women again, um, uh, dealing with menses and whatnot, they're also more prone to having anemia. So when you do have female athletes coming to you, these are the things that you would want to ask just to make sure that they're getting the adequate nutrients needed to prevent these types of things from happening. Um, because, you know, injury can be devastating for elite athletes and really impair their progress and career. And then age is also really appropriate. You know, whenever we say athlete, a lot of people just think young. Um, and athletes are of all ages. You know, I see a lot of athletes in their 50s and 60s who do Ironmans, ultra runs, everything like that. And those are the individuals that you really want to cancel when it comes to actually everybody, but specifically to masters. You really want to make sure you touch on all of their cardiac risk factors because just because they exercise doesn't mean they're not going to have hypertension or some sort of glucose intolerance or prediabetes um, or elevated lipoprotein, little a, and whatnot, which we really don't know what to do with. Um, but Education can be provided over a whole entire age range, um, but because younger individuals are more malleable, um, are not necessarily um, basing their diet on years of experience, I think those are populations that we can target, particularly when we're trying to combat progressive cardiovascular disease. We all know athro tends to develop as early as 15 to 17 years old, um, just given kind of our societal diet and, and whatnot. Um, so I think this is kind of an area where we could be better at counseling. Um, and then I wanted to talk about, you know, it's not necessarily, again, all about performance. You know, nutrition is oftentimes compromised. You know, we have our linemen who, you know, are, you know, very likely to have metabolic syndrome, um, if not, you know, already, you know, heightened cardiovascular risk just because their job requires them to have a lot of bulk. Um, and then, you know, we also have individuals, um, and I only put runners up here just because, you know, that just tends to be a common association where those who are calorie deficient just tend to be very malnourished. And again, these types of things have not only acute um, consequences, but also devastating consequences down the line. So we have to be mindful of caloric intake. We have to be mindful of caloric quality. And then one thing that's also very important is the use of anabolic steroids, particularly in our weightlifting population. And, um, you know, I worked with Drs. Bagish and Weiner, and they had done a decent amount of literature on looking at weightlifters and the association with accelerated atherosclerosis, um, as well as both systolic and diastolic dysfunction. So, I always make sure that I ask athletes, have you ever used steroids in the past or currently because that's how we can risk stratify them better and make sure that we're not addressing their performance needs, but also their health. Um, protein is more better. So I, I got this, um, this graph from the World Resources Institute um, where I was just kind of taking a look at you know, how protein is consumed and, and what quantity just globally. And the green is the plant-based protein source and the red is the animal-based protein source. And what I want you to take away from here is that we're just eating so much protein. 
and we really don't need it. And so if there's anything that you take away from here, all I could say is really try to round out the diet for yourself, round out the diet for the people you counsel. The U.S. and Canada are actually all the way over to the right here um, where they're eating about, I think the average American man eats about 100 grams of protein per day. And I had mentioned you really only need 20. Um, and more protein, again, is not necessarily associated with bulkier muscles or faster recovery. Um, here I wanted to just give you guys some ideas of what foods have what protein content. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of heavy counseling on chicken, breast, beef, broiled fish, and whatnot as being great sources of protein, and they are. Um, they've got 20-plus grams of protein. But heading down here with the yogurt and lentils and black beans, um, peanut butter, tofu, eggs, all the way down to grains, everything's got some amount of protein. So if you can sit down with your athlete, um, have someone like Kate, or um, as a provider, um, have someone just kind of look at what foods you're eating and just show you visually what your calorie content and quality is and what your nutritional sources are in grams. I think it's very enlightening to athletes to see, oh, I really don't need to eat all of that. I can get by by this. Um, one thing that I'll um, refer all of you to is the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency's Comprehensive Nutrition Guide. Um, you know, it's a quick read. It's about maybe 13 or 15 pages, and I think it's very helpful for people who, um, again, like to visualize, like to have a little more objective data. Um, I have a number of patients like that, and they can leaf through it and see what um, what takeaways will really optimize their performance. And it also provides some nutritional information as well. Um, again, I think the trend is kind of getting away from calorically dense, you know, poorly, um, poorly nutrition types of foods to more whole foods, more unprocessed, uh, more longstanding sustainable foods, um, which is a trend that I support. Um, and this kind of follows that ideology as well. And it's um, data is all from, you know, kind of governmental agencies and whatnot and um, sports dietitians and academy of nutrition dietitians and the College of Sports Medicine. Um, there's for, for providers and the like, um, I want to refer you to um, two, which I found actually, you know, quite helpful um, and insightful uh, articles in Jack, one in 2017 and one just this past year, um, where they talk about nutritional controversies. Um, I think, you know, we all get the question, are eggs bad for you or good for you? Is low-fat dairy good for you or whole-fat dairy good for you? And these two charts, I think, are quite helpful in just kind of showing you where the evidence is for each type of food group. So for for instance, coconuts. You know, I never know what to say about coconuts. They're just very high in saturated fat, but everything unprocessed and whole has coconuts. Um, and, you know, there's really not that much evidence yet about whether or not they're associated with atherosclerosis. There are studies, particularly in Asian populations where they use a lot of coconut, where it shows that the high saturated fat content is associated with higher cholesterol and higher HDL. Um, but if you compare that to diets with more, animal, uh, more saturated fat from animal products, like the kind of Western diet, um, their cholesterol and, and um, HDL levels are not as high as um, those who come from kind of that Western diet with the animal um, saturated fat content. Eggs are also here, you know, um, there is evidence of harm with eggs just based upon the data that they collected, um, given their association with cholesterol raising effects. Um, and then this kind of goes back and forth, you know, things in the waffle based upon 
you know, where society and where politics are a little bit. Um, I apologize for that comment, but it, it does get into the food we eat and, you know, what we have available to us. Um, other things that I wanted to comment, you know, I mentioned the PREDIMED study and the extra virgin olive oil being associated with better cardiovascular outcomes. Um, that, again, you know, strawberries, blueberries, green leafy vegetables, plant-based proteins and whatnot, there's a lot of evidence for that. And so not just for your cardiovascular patients, but for your athletic patients who are looking to maximize their cardiovascular benefit with the foods they eat for performance, I think these two charts, you know, I'm a visual learner. I think these are very helpful um, for people to take home with them, and it's very easy to just put it in an ABS or or my chart it and um, and send it their way. And then my personal preference. So you know, those of you who know me know that you know I, I read a lot and I tout a lot about this. But um, you know, I the way I counsel my athletes and my cardiovascular patients is um, a lot by experience. Um, and we try to find something that works for them to just get them moving in the right direction with maximizing nutrition. And so I always say whole foods, plant-based, and coconuts are controversial in my mind. Um, and then, you know, just because I can't help myself, I think kind of moving in that direction also helps us to be a little more mindful about our, our globe and our climate um, and our carbon footprint. So for those of you who are interested, I'll refer you to that bottom article just because I think it kind of rounds out how our relationships with foods as individuals and as athletic individuals um, um, is really impacting you know the way we live and, and what we have affordable to us. And so our key takeaways, um, I think, the best bang for your buck, again, for nutrition and performance is really those whole foods, unprocessed foods. And I do feel that the type of fat is really important, um, whether it be unsaturated or saturated. Whenever you're canceling, really try to see where you're um, trying to maximize the benefits, whether it be fueling and recovery. Typically, it's both. Um, and then the protein controversy. I really wanted to just bring that up because I think a lot of people feel like we need to have a lot of protein, and that's not the case. One of the things that um, often comes up is people come in with a decrement in performance and they wonder, is this because they've got some cardiac pathology or, or what else is going on? And oftentimes it's related to a, a nutrition or caloric imbalance. How, how do you kind of evaluate that? I know what I do is I send okay, uh, to figure it out, but is there, is there an easy way to do that, uh, you know, to try and figure that out, or do we really need to kind of go through this in, in, in a lot of detail? Um, I break it down. So I usually go through what their physical routine is, um, what their diet is like, what their lifestyle is like, meaning what, what are their sleep habits, what recovery time do they have allotted to them. Um, because oftentimes the most common reason for them to have poor performance or decrement is really overtraining, um, particularly in younger, younger individuals. And overtraining just means that they're really not getting adequate nutrients, not enough sleep. But then also, just like you were mentioning, you know, kind of relying upon energy drinks or some sort of supplement to provide that fuel for performance is not ideal and it does catch up with them. And so if you're able to kind of tease out what they're putting in their bodies, what they're doing with their bodies and whether they're resting their bodies, you can kind of figure out what area can be improved. Now you also have to make sure that there's nothing bad going on, right? So in young athletes, whenever they're coming in with chest pain or syncope or palpitations, you want to make sure they don't have things like coronary anomalies or any valvular disease or anything predisposing them from a pathologic standpoint. So I do due diligence, as I'm sure you do, in making sure that those scary things are excluded. But at the end of the day, with the younger cohort, it really tends to be what is going on with their lifestyle and are they really fueling for performance and nutrition. And then as we progress into the older ages, decrements in performance can be attributed to 
to just natural aging, if it's a decline over the course of the years, that's natural, oftentimes unexpected. But then you're also going into individuals who maybe have been following a traditional way of, of life, which has still fueled their performance, but now they're heading into years of, you know, atherosclerosis is now a little more prevalent. Um, they're ve- developing those cardiac risk factors and traditional cardiac things that we see in clinic on a day-to-day basis need to be um, addressed because that could be causing the decrement. So it's all about profiling and strategizing. I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for for coming and thanks again. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and share the link on iTunes.